everyone, and welcome back to the Time Shifters podcast. Once again, back in studio with Matt Flynn. How you doing, Matt? Good. It's good to be back. Very good to have you back. This is Christopher, of course. I don't think I mentioned that. <laughs> anyway, yeah, Matt, you're back. It's been a well, it's, it's actually been a month since we've talked. Yeah, four weeks. Yeah, it's been it's been a while, and a lot's happened. Yeah, we picked uh, <laughs> terrible. Last time we recorded later that day, I wasn't. I didn't realize this was D twenty three. Which is the big the big Disney, Disney Expo? Yeah. So we didn't have a lot of news that day. I went home, pulled up Twitter, everything got revealed. <laughs> it's like would have been good to know this two hours ago. Yeah, yeah. There's been a lot happening. We've um, uh, we you know we just talked about George Romero films not that long ago, and, uh-huh. and you know we were April fooled, and then. <laughs> And then about a, a future Romero film, and then actually had news of a future Romero film, and then his passing, yeah. unfortunately. That, which is, so whether or not we'll ever see Road of the Dead is, uh, I guess, up in the air. Right. Uh, very sad to hear that, you know, and again, you just we just talked about it, and then mm-hmm. that it happened on our month off. <laughs> a lot of Romero news here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, very, yeah, real, real unfortunate. Uh, what else went on? Uh, so what kind of came out of the D23 that really... So there was a lot of things that came out. Um, talking about some of their animated sequels, uh, the movie Coco, uh, Wreck-It Ralph 2, uh, something with Frozen. Didn't uh, they reveal the whole cast for Aladdin too? Yes. They Will were, Smith is... Mm-hmm, the... Will Smith as the genie. Right. I like Will Smith... I don't know. I feel like that was an easy answer, but also yeah. not a good one. Um, because be- it's just that easy, or because I feel that like there's there's to me there's two ways to do it. There's try to recreate Robin Williams mm-hmm. or go a completely different route with an unknown. Mm. This was the kind first of in, one in between. I feel like this was the first one. Oh, he's, okay. he's I, I don't think he's gonna be himself i think he's going to be fast talking real funny and it's like yeah but we got that and are you going to top it mm-hmm. are you even going to equal it will smith is a very phenomenal actor very creative can do a lot of things can you do that I, i've seen him do the fast and the funny but not on that level right so it to me it's an it's a notch down and so it just goes to me being why are we doing this i've seen will smith do enough different kind of roles that I'm willing to wait and see which direction they take this one. So you don't think necessarily he'll try if, to be Yeah, I don't know if funny. they'll necessarily go for the Robin Williams stand-in. I, okay. I think there's a good chance they may... You Dramatic know, genie. <laughs> well, maybe not something in between, maybe. Maybe it's, it's he's going to be funny. I okay. think it's definitely going to be a comedic role, but maybe not trying to copy or live up to Robin Williams, but do his own thing, be comedic, but still uh, bring it down a notch or two, maybe, which I think is the humor that Will Smith can do the best. I'm thinking like um, uh, Men in Black Will Smith okay. kind of comedy. I could see him maybe playing it that way a little bit. All right. So I'm, I'd be willing. It's, I'm not thrilled at the idea of the film in general. But. Yeah, that's where I am. Just that's <laughs> one of those. But if it's movies. gonna happen, if I have to try to find some silver lining. <laughs> <laughs> but what does it say when you have to try to find the silver lining? That's <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, and the other was they uh, released the trailer for Wrinkle in Time. Yes. Did you see that? Yes, I did. I was surprised because it, for a, a book that opens with it was a dark and stormy night, this was a really bright and vibrant trailer. 
but it seemed pretty mind trippy. Yeah. Uh, it's been a long time since I've visited Wrinkle in Time. It was Me like too. one of these things. It's probably fourth or fifth grade, and it was. You know, it was the class read it or it was read to us by the yeah. teacher or whatever. And I don't remember actually understanding a thing that went on. <laughs> and so I'm watching this trailer going, yep, that's pretty much exactly how I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> don't know what's going on. I have no idea what's going on. It's yeah. just a mind trip. Yeah. It looks interesting. Um, I was a little – I know it was technically a teaser, but there was a lot in there for a teaser. To me, that was a trailer. Yeah. And they didn't – I couldn't see Madeline Langle's name anywhere in it. Mm. Can she get credit for her story? Yeah, no yeah. <laughs> like put her name somewhere when you're dropping all those title cards yeah, and stuff. You know, from the inventive mind of right, kind of exactly. Yeah, exactly. Where's that? <laughs> yeah, that's surprising. Another trailer that came out, the one that kind of uh, sent shivers down my spine, was uh, Watcher in the Woods, the remake for Watcher in the Woods. Oh, I didn't see that. Um, yeah, um, the the original film I remember as a kid. It, it was one of Disney's sort of when they tried to do. They didn't want to do animated, so they like, okay, let's do something a little bit more grown-up, I guess. So it's still children's, but it's it's kind of a, a Disney horror film is what it is. It's a ghost story. And the original film is a great movie without a good ending Okay, is how I would describe it. It's definitely worth – I would recommend going back and watching it. Uh, Betty Davis you know, does, a, does a thing in there. Uh, a couple other um, – can't think of the other actors that are in it. But a couple that might be recognizable. But So they don't want a remake. And the remake, they did a great job of your watching it. And maybe because I've got this baggage of the original being kind of scary for me as a kid, I'm watching the trailer with like shivers going down my spine. So I, I watched it like right before I went to bed and went, yeah, that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I'm kind of curious to see what they do with it. I'm curious to see if they've come up with an ending that I think is more satisfying than the original. So kind of actually looking forward to that. <laughs> if I was going to look forward to a remake, that's the one I'm looking forward to. Okay, yeah. That is, if there's room for improvement, yeah, that's what mm -hmm. makes a good remake. If we've, yeah, exactly. We've discussed at length. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. So what was supposed to have been our other recording date two weeks ago... Comic-Con happened. Yeah. That, that <laughs> Even was, more information yeah, came out. Really bad timing all around. The thing that came out at D23 and Comic-Con was the um, Infinity War trailer. Yes. Which they have not yet released online. Oh, right. That was the one that everyone saw there, but they right. know, it has not been released at all. Right. And, and apparently they really hammered down on, like, you couldn't even bring your phone into the... Uh, I found one bootleg really? copy wow. and it was gone the next day mm -hmm. so i watched a grainy version of it but the person who had this video did a good job of writing everything along the side of the video oh so you could definitely hear what was being heard and so they wrote like character says someone does this so if you couldn't quite see it you could read it and then you'd be like oh okay i see it now so i watched that very closely because if you're not going to release it online I'm going to find it. It's hard to find. I can't find any. Like, I went searching for this before I finally. I actually stumbled across it. I stopped searching, and all of a sudden it popped up in a, you might like this video. And oh, I was like, yes, wow. I would. Wow. So I watched that, and a lot happens. And they, they don't show much, but the tone that they give and the way they showed this trailer, I'm thinking several heroes are going to die permanently mm -hmm. they really showed a bleak picture of thanos coming in and wiping the floor with everyone 
the part that I really liked is it opens. Uh, is it okay if I tell you this? Yeah, it's fine. I read the uh, what since you couldn't watch the video, there was a lot of people who reported and kind of almost like NPR style, like oh. courtroom hearing would like <laughs> you know they had like entire uh, articles about okay, this is what I saw, this is what happened, and then Thanos throws a moon, you know, kind of yes. thing. Yes. <laughs> okay. So. I've always wondered, how are you going to get the Guardians of the Galaxy back to Earth? What What is Peter Quill's excuse for going there? And it opens just with them flying through space, and they crash into Thor, who's unconscious, floating in space, and he hits their windshield. It's a very kind of comedic okay, moment. Yeah. yeah. And so he wakes up, and he's like, I've got to get back to Earth. And they're like, Earth? And then they go there, and you realize, all hell's broken loose. Gotcha. And Thanos is there, and yeah, he's... He's just beating the hell out of everybody. Interesting. And so I'm just thinking, I think several heroes are going to die. Wow. This might be the I've, – I've heard rumors and discussions that um, Chris Evans, uh, right? Yeah. Captain America, mm-hmm. right, is kind of done. He wants to leave the role. Yeah. And maybe this is going to be the out. Um, he's supposed to be signed on for the fourth movie, oh, okay. which is kind of – there are two standalone movies, Infinity War and the untitled fourth movie, but they're connected at the same time, and they're happening a year apart. Hmm. Originally, it was going to be a part one and a part two, but then they decided to kind of space the story out, and he's – apparently, they're all signed on for that, and that's going to kind of close out this giant overall arc that they started back in Iron Man yeah, but I 1. Get, I, I wonder if it, you know, they're signed on, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to appear in a large way. There could be right. flashbacks or... True. Yeah. Very true. But supposedly after that, a lot of your original Avengers actors are going to kind of walk away. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if we're going to see Robert Downey Jr., Chris Evans, Chris Helmsworth anymore after that fourth movie. And that Spider-Man is going to kind of lead the way after that. Hmm. And I wonder if the Marvel Universe film universe survives much longer after that. We'll see. Yeah, that's they, gonna be the big that's that's a big leap. Yeah. I mean next year is ten years that they made it this far is impressive. Oh yeah, absolutely. I can't so, yeah, I guess it has been a decade since mm-hmm. that first Wow. Yeah. Since I am Iron Man. <laughs> yeah. The world was changed. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, who knew? Uh, unbelievable. Yeah, that it's going to be interesting to see whether they can carry it on. And because you know, people have come to like these characters. And it's, I, I think it's a little less, as far as the movie going, obviously the, the comic book fans and the fans of the characters are going to go, you know, regardless or whatever. Yeah. But as far as the movie fans go, they're just going to see the action movies, just go to see the superhero movies. They've kind of like fallen in love with these characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, they go to see Robert Downey Jr. Right. They go to see Chris Hemsworth. It doesn't necessarily matter that it's Iron Man or Thor. So if they're not there, yeah, are they going to go to see the next film to see, you know, oh, who's now worthy to carry the hammer? Uh, right. Uh, I don't care. It's not Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, which kind of happens in the comic books, too. You get that like, is these true. divisions of like, no, this is the real Robin. This is the real Thor. Right. <laughs> Things like that. Um, but I, at the same time, they're building up these other characters. Like I'm excited for Black Panther and what goes, you know, is coming down the road for him and for Doctor Strange. And they t- they released information about Captain Marvel and what that movie is going to be about. And it's going to be set in the 90s to kind of say superheroes were around before Iron Man mm-hmm. and things like that. 
it might be something too where they can kind of keep the universe going with these previously minor characters like you're yeah. saying the Black Panthers or whatever building them up and then still be able to sprinkle in maybe not do an entire film but hey you know Downey could you come in and you know work like for he's it? been doing <laughs> yeah. I, I have to think that that was a very strategic move for the Spider-Man was yeah. oh let's have Robert Downey Jr. in there because that's guaranteed you're going to get people in the seats because they think Iron Man's going to be in the movie right it's exactly. They could do the exact same thing with future with future minor character films, right? If they can still put the Captain America or Thor or whoever on the poster, right? Exactly. <laughs> you're going to get people in the seats. Yeah, I, I think that that's a possibility. It's just a matter of who's going to live, who's going to mm-hmm. walk away from the Infinity War alive, and I don't know. I really, I know how I would want it to go. I know the story in my head, but we'll see. I love that we've become this movie watching society that i mean there be, there will be people that leave the theater with tears streaming down their face probably i mean this is going to be very traumatic for people yeah and it's going to play up and it's going to pull the heartstrings like this is a superhero movie uh-huh. <laughs> it's it's incredible that we've embraced this this genre and these characters to the point that there are going to be people that are going to be just heartbroken if their character dies and it makes me wonder like will they be able to go back and rewatch the other ones of like no because i know he's gonna die in five more movies <laughs> yeah. Yeah, video and vod sales plummet <laughs> <laughs> oops and that's when you bring the character back to life it's a comic book movie don't worry about book. it yeah restart it yeah no oh, it was a body double the whole time <laughs> Anything else come out of Comic-Con that was really... Um, so there was all of this rumor that um, we had talked about it, that you know after Ben Affleck had stepped down as being the director of the Batman and then his script wasn't going to be used, then people started to say... Is he going to be there? Is he going to be there? And there were all these rumors that he's unhappy, he... You know, that the movies aren't doing what he wants, that it's not what he signed on for, and that he's going to leave as soon as possible, but that he that the studio wants to have like a healthy split so that they would write him out. And I got really annoyed at that. And I'm thinking, you're just starting your cinematic universe and you're gonna remove Bruce Wayne from it. Yeah. And that they wouldn't recast that 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 Dick Grayson would become Batman or some kind of story like that. And I'm like, these are stories you don't shouldn't be approaching for 10 years and we're right. going to do them yeah, right away. Don't go into Nightfall with a brand new Batman. Exactly. Yeah. And he came out and he said, not right away. He didn't immediately go, that's not true, I'm here. He came out and said, I love playing Batman. I'm looking forward to what Matt Reeves is doing. But one day somebody else will be playing Batman, and people took that different ways. Some people said, oh, maybe it means he's not there for a trilogy, or maybe he's saying, well, because, like, 15 actors have played Batman, that's just factual. Right, yeah. You can't do it forever. Right. So I don't know what it means, but it doesn't seem that he's unhappy. I feel like if he was unhappy, he would have dodged the question. Right. So, and and he was saying that he loves working with Matt Reeves. He'll do whatever. He said he would be an ape on the ground for Matt Reeves. (laughs) So that to me is a vote of confidence. Mm -hmm. Um, Whether or not he signed on for, or he will sign on for like a trilogy, a Batman trilogy, or if he'll just do like one Batman movie and walk away. I don't know. But it, it kind of like made me feel a little bit better about the situation. Yeah, good. The other thing, I don't know if you heard about this. 
the reshoots for Justice League, mm-hmm. which we had talked about. So obviously Henry Cavill's playing Superman, right. but he's also currently filming the new Mission Impossible movie. Oh, interesting. And his character has a very prominent mustache. So he has a real mustache. Mm-hmm. Superman does not have a mustache. They need him to do the reshoots. Um, the studio that's doing uh, Mission Impossible won't let him shave it. <laughs> Warner Brothers needs him to shave it. And as one person on Twitter said, two studios are fighting over whether or not Henry Cavill should shave his mustache. This is great. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty crazy. So he's going to be filming his scenes with the mustache and they have to digitally, digitally remove, remove it. it. Digitally shave. Yeah. And they are saying it is the most expensive mustache in movie history. <laughs> Or the most expensive clean shave. <laughs> it's ridiculous that this is what we have to do. There was another news story. I, I haven't clicked on it. I haven't actually read it because, of well, the, the story is that a a leaked version of the Justice League film, uh, an early draft or whatever, and it's quote unquote unwatchable. Yeah. But I haven't bothered to click on it or read about it. So I'm thinking, well, you know what? If this was like an early, this could be who knows in mm-hmm. what stage. I'm guessing at this stage of almost any film is might be unwatchable. Right. So I think this is unfortunate that someone would get a pre-edited or in the middle of editing or probably not even within – maybe not even have the reshoots in place mm-hmm. or roughly in place, or a few of them, and then try to judge it. Oh, it's unwatchable. Well, so is almost every film until you actually finish it. Right. <laughs> the soundtrack's not even done. Right. Like, so I'm a little <laughs> a little annoyed at it, yeah. these articles. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. But at the same time, I'm thinking $25 million for extensive reshoots could explain that. Yeah. That, there's, that they want the reshoots to be like a tonal shift. So how much of a Frankenstein movie is this going to be? But I agree with you. When, when something is still this far into the, the post-production process, and or not that far, because right. um, the movie's not supposed to be released until November, some movies... They're not done until weeks before right. they open. I think that happened with one of the Star Wars movies. Like, like it was days before it was supposed to ship, and then they finally finished it. <laughs> and enter send. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, putting something like that out is very premature. Let's wait until it's done. Let's mm-hmm. wait until the, the advanced reviews are out and all of that. Yeah, And even, even then, I would, it is the type of film that I'm going to try to go in with uh without a lot of uh spoiled or I, i'm not going to read a lot of the reviews i'm not going to read people's comments on whether they liked it they didn't like it. i'm going to try to watch it with as little of that behind me you know, mm-hmm. on top of it because because it's a justice league you know i yeah. want to see a justice league movie and i want to go in and see it as my movie not what someone else is, thinks it should have been or, yeah. or whatever so yeah. and the trailer looked good yeah, yeah, I don't have a problem with the trailer. The trailer looked like fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't getting caught up in the the action piece. Like there was a lot of it, but it wasn't getting caught up in it. Say like Batman v Superman did. Batman v Superman was all just the fighting and right. you know who was punching who and how it looked. Like this focused a lot on what they were saying mm-hmm. and how they were interacting with each other. That I kind of liked. I think the my favorite thing in the trailer was the the moment when the whole Justice League is up there on top of the building with the bat light and everything. And mm-hmm. they're all standing there and they cut the light to, I guess, uh, Gordon or someone. They turn back and the Flash is the only one standing there. It, whoa. 
they just left. <laughs> Man, that's rude. Yeah, and it's the Flash. It's who's, the Flash. Who's he's the fastest one. Everyone else disappears. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, I'm really of everything going on in that movie. Ezra Miller as the Flash is what I'm looking forward to mm. the most. He's a great actor. He's really funny. He's really smart. I've heard him give a bunch of interviews, and it's a very different take on Barry Allen, and I'm down for it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We'll we'll see what happens. Is that all the kind of the, all the the big news that I guess that's gone on? I'm sure there's a ton. There is uh, this news. You're wearing an appropriate shirt for it. Oh, yep. Um, I don't know how to say his name. Haro Nakajima. Haruo Nakajima. Yeah, the the suit actor, the the first suit actor of the first Godzilla. Played Godzilla, I think, twelve times. Mm-hmm. The first twelve films. Passed away, I think he was eighty-eight. Yeah. So uh, he was—he's been really good about uh, doing some of the conventions and stuff. He's been here in the states at the G Fest uh, a few times. Uh, seems like a really nice guy from the the interviews that I've I've heard of him or the the panels I've I've listened to, and uh, you know he just yeah he created without knowing it was just the sort of a stunt actor kind of thing, and he gets help puts on this giant rubber suit. Bounces around. Bounces around a little bit and knocks down some buildings. And, you know, he's forever kind of cemented into Godzilla lore. And he helped bring this character to life. And yeah, it's an absolute uh, – it's a re- real shame. I mean, yeah. it's one of these things that you know it's, – it's another one of these things where you know it's going to happen. You just don't like to think about it. Right. <laughs> it doesn't make it any easier when it does. Yeah. It's just such an iconic role. And it was just nice to read how he embraced it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he really years. did. I think in the beginning it was just uh, it's just a it's just a job. It's no big deal. And then over time, it's he had fans, you know, <laughs> and the world loved him for it. And he was like, okay, great, okay, I, yeah. And he did. He even embraced it. So he would go to the conventions and he would you know do panels and interviews and like that's awesome. He played uh, lots. It wasn't Godzilla. Uh, wasn't his only he did uh it work on he did like rodan and mothra he worked on a lot of the different uh, uh monsters both in godzilla and uh, in the ultraman series so he was real prolific and kind of helped shape suit acting yeah really because the guys that are in the suits are kind of help the, the men who design the suits and it's a uh, Pretty neat. Yeah, the original Godzilla suit, I think he said, weighed around 200 pounds when it was all said and done. And that sounds right. To, you know, walk around mm-hmm. and do stuff with this thing. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, as, as exhausting as that must be, and I'm sure it didn't pay well, but talk about a fun job. All right, put this on. <laughs> You're going to be a big monster. Go break all that. Yeah. I, okay. <laughs> well, and it was fun. I've listened to a couple, uh, a panel or an interview, and there is actual acting involved it's not just put on the suit and knock stuff over because if you're like battling another monster another guy in a suit or or some sort of model or whatever um you guys have to pretend that you are doing each other harm and that you're reacting and you're you know punching each other and reacting to the punches so there's a lot of actual acting that goes into this and that was him you know (laughs) that were that was them he wasn't the only one i think that's um it's really it did a really great job to make the films as, if you want to call it believable, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Know, but certainly as much fun as they are. On that note, I did want to uh, mention an email from uh, our good our, our listener Floyd. Yeah, we had uh, we noticed he hadn't been around for a while. He's alive. He's alive. Yep. In fact, he starts out 
says, I know you've been wondering why hasn't Floyd written for a while. Well, he was listening to an audiobook. He was really wanting to finish it, so he didn't. He, so now he's finally catching up on his podcasts. So he's cheating on us. Yeah. <laughs> I enjoyed your assessments of Airport. I'd always looked at it as a disaster film, but I think you're correct in your assessments that it's more about running an airport than the disaster on the plane. Sadly, we never learned what happened to any of the characters except George Kennedy since he was in all the airport films. So, yeah. He says, I kind of agree with you on the prequel Star Wars films, and I kind of don't. I thought Rogue One was a fantastic film. I really enjoyed seeing the events that led up to New Hope, and the CGI of Peter Cushing was amazing. They did answer the question as to why the Empire would build the Death Star without a vent cover. I don't remember them venting. <laughs> I don't remember them answering that. Uh, he says, however, I don't need to see any more prequel movies beyond this one. I agree that they should tell more standalone stories from the vast Star Wars universe. And Matt said something that I've been saying for years. That is, George Lucas is a great visionary, but not a good implementer. Let him develop the story, but let others write the screenplay and direct. I consider The Empire Strikes Back to be the best Star Wars film, and he didn't write or direct it. And I would put Rogue One right up there with A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back. Wow, that's big praise for Rogue One there. Claim Empire Strikes Back is the best, and he'll put it up right up there with Rogue One. I don't know mm, if I would do that. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> they've yet to make, in my opinion, they've yet to make any Star Wars movie that tops the original three. And even I will admit that when I watch them now, by the time you get to the third one, it's kind of like, oh, this is re this is a rehash of the first yeah. one. This is everything that I kind of criticize the prequels for being. <laughs> Return of the Jedi is that, right? You know? But uh, he goes on. He says, now on to parodies. I think Matt nailed it when he said one thing that made airplanes so good was that there was humor for everyone. Many jokes were off color, but many were not, and the ones that were off color were quick. So if one is offended, those. So if one is offended by those, they pass quickly, and there's plenty more to laugh at in the film. Good point. Sadly, the more modern parodies have seemed to have focused more on the vulgar jokes. There have been many times I've seen previews for a parody or other comedy, and I thought, well, that looks hilarious. And then I see it, and it's, it's rated R, and I realize that most of the jokes will be vulgar, and that's too bad. I love parodies that make me laugh, squirm a little, but, don't want, but not want to get up and walk out. I'm looking forward to hearing your next discussion and see if the film you choose stands up to the classic parodies like Airplane. So this came in right after Airplane, but before we talked about uh, Black, uh, Dynamite. Black Dynamite. He also mentioned in their email that he uh, he just went to the uh, Space 1999 convention, Alpha 2017, uh, out there in, uh, I think it was in New York or New Jersey or somewhere. It was on okay. the East Coast. Uh, but anyway, he said that he you know he's back, he's looking forward, he'd like to come in and uh, share some stories of... Uh, of meeting some of the, the cast and, and crew from Space 1999. Sure. That's a series that I'm guessing maybe you know about but don't know much about, or have you heard of, even heard of I think of you it? told me about it. Okay. Yeah, maybe we have, yeah, with the the moon that gets rocketed out of or, orbit. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a interesting series. You know, <laughs> maybe we'll have him on. I don't know if he'd be offended by it or not. One of our, our next topic is going to talk about what we consider sort of um, – what a lot of people call guilty pleasures. Mm-hmm. Uh, Space 1999 would, wouldn't would fall on that for me, but it might be in a um, uh, also mentioned kind of list. Yeah. Is of it thing. one of those like so campy you love it kind of things? It's a little campy. It really takes itself super seriously. It's kind of one of these things where the set design and everything is top-notch, unbelievable. Uh, the design of the, the ships and the sci- design of the moon base is really spectacular. And there's some of those... Stories, though, that are like, 
There's a whole lot of stories for that for me. I watch and go, and then in the end, so that didn't really happen. <laughs> <laughs> or or the disaster, disaster, and oh, everything's fine. And I'm like, whoa, wait, what? What? <laughs> so, and there is a little bit of overacting or not acting, depending on your opinion, by a few of the actors too. But Floyd loves it, and a lot of people do. And okay. I, I certainly wouldn't, you know, I don't disparage him for enjoying it. I like a lot of things too, but uh, <laughs> that other people don't care for. But so I don't know if you'd be offended by having it, uh, talking about it on the uh, guilty pleasure episode, but that might be a good one to have him uh, wiggle in. it in there. <laughs> we, we'll wiggle it in, yeah. All right. Well, I think we are going to take a short break here and uh, play a uh, promo for another podcast. And when we get back, we are going to discuss in general. Batman, and in particular, the brand new Blu-ray release, Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Emergency. Batman speaking. Warning all of you to brace yourselves for big news. The biggest. Tell them, Robin. Holy surprises, Batman. It's really exciting. Greetings, citizens. Join me, your old bat chum, John S. Drew, on my journey to discover what it is I love about the classic 1966 Batman television series on the Batcave podcast. Each episode, I'm joined by a guest host as we review the classic television series there's a new episode every two weeks same bat time same bat channel on itunes stitcher radio or at the batcavepodcast.com holy memoranda folks make a note not to miss it good thinking robin all right we are back now this is Batman, a character that I know both of us enjoy. You might even more so than I. You're a big Batman fan. A bit. A bit. <laughs> uh, I am a fan of Batman in the... I not a, was not a big reader of the books. Uh, most of my Batman knowledge comes from the visual media, whether it be film and television. Um, like many kids, I grew up watching Adam West and, and the reruns of the 60s Batman of course, I was watching it well into the 70s, not knowing it was reruns from the 60s. <laughs> and then, of course, um, Super Friends cartoon through the, again, uh, 60s and 70s. Uh, and uh, Batman cartoons. And finally, you know, 1989, the first legitimate Batman movie uh, hits the big screens. And so that's kind of, that's my Batman history is pretty much just the campy cartoons and then... <laughs> Dark. Dark. <laughs> Where does your love from Batman begin? Um, it started with the animated series. Mm -hmm. uh, watching that as a kid. So and 92, 93? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just not watching it in any particular order and you didn't have to. And uh, what I always liked about it is it never had an origin story. There wasn't a first episode, you know, per se. There wasn't mm -hmm. a pilot. It was just sort of, you know who Batman is. Yeah. We expect you to know who Batman is. And this is more of, you get an introduction to each villain, except the Joker. The Joker's just sort of there. Right. And there's no, this is his first appearance. It's just sort of, like the show kind of starts like, Batman's been around 
two, three years-ish. Mm-hmm. Joker's been around maybe a couple of years. And then they do an episode introducing Catwoman. They, they set up Harvey Dent as the district attorney yeah. for several episodes. Mm-hmm. They give him a love interest. They give him an arc. And then they do an episode where Two-Face pops up. And mm-hmm. it's this tragic fall because you see how, one, he's friends with Bruce Wayne. You see how he's how he's deciding to trust Batman and work with him. And so when he becomes Two-Face, you realize there's a history between these two guys. And it's painful. And that's probably the most powerful arc throughout Absolutely. the whole series. Um, they do Penguin, they do Riddler, they do Hugo Strange, they do Poison Ivy. This is where they created Harley Quinn. <laughs> this is where, like they, they decided, you know what, we're going to make our own characters. And they are now iconic characters. They um, decided they were the ones that started Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy as a team up and as friends. Mm-hmm. Um, then they they spun it out to Superman. They did the Justice League, and this is the greatest shared universe <laughs> on screen, I think. Yeah. Well, Batman. I mean, everybody knows. I think Batman uh, created or first appeared in comics in 1939. I think it was yep. created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Um, More Bill Finger than Bob Kane. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. always Bob have to say that. <laughs> Bob Kane had the uh, the better contract, apparently. Yes, <laughs> it's just yeah, just recently that the the uh, Finger estate uh, really uh, got a lot of the credit back towards him. So you'll you'll see created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Yes, now, finally, just Bob Kane. Yeah, somebody did this really brief short comic book where it said, if Batman was only made by Bob Kane, and this guy walks in in this very bright costume and like these purple bat wings, and he's got blonde hair. Red and, shorts. And- yeah, and he just has a regular criminal, and he's like, I'm here to place this man under arrest. Where's your commissioner? Our who? You don't have a commissioner? No. Oh, I guess I'll walk home then, because <laughs> everything else was Bellfinger. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was instrumental in creating the look of Batman, and uh, the yeah. Look it up. Google like original. There are a couple you can find some original uh, drawings of you know of bat of the bat hyphen man mm-hmm. that is created by Bob Kane. Oof. <laughs> yeah, it was a little rough. Very typical of the time, I think. Yes. Um, so it was interesting to see where he went or where they went with it and, and what they came up with afterwards. Yeah, you could see Bob Kane was definitely creating a character of the time that he probably didn't expect to do much for more than a few weeks. Bill right. Finger was like, I have an idea. <laughs> uh, it didn't take long after the uh, debut of the comic before Batman found his way to film. They did a, a couple uh, movie serials. Yeah. Um, back in, in the 40s, I want to say the first one was like 44, 43, 44. Those costumes look fun. <laughs> the Batman portrayed by Lewis Wilson. Yes, those look like uh, like under his pajamas. That were just cut out with scissors. Yeah, and the floppy the, ears. Uh, yep. I love the floppy mm-hmm. ears. So come on, point it up more. <laughs> I don't know if it was the uh, the 43 or it was uh, – there's another serial, serial called Batman and Robin done in 49. I want to say I think it was in the 43 where – and one or both of them, Batman's like an agent of the government. Yeah. Works for the government. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the opening scene is him in like his Batcave, but he's sitting at like a, a, a wooden desk with a phone <laughs> and everything. It looks like an office, but it's a cave. <laughs> it's a little silly to watch, but it's still kind of fun. You can see how that went on to Adam West. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You definitely can see where they got the idea of really camping it up by the time they get to the 60s. 
Uh, that's what's actually kind of surprising. They did the serials in the 40s, and then Batman was quiet for over 15 years, mm-hmm. uh, just surviving in the comics. Yeah. Um, the comic code, I think, is what did a lot of what would some would say damage to Batman. Yeah, because Batman killed before then. He, you know, he used guns. Uh, you know, there were there's like these old ones you can find where like he throws a guy off a roof and catches him with a rope and snaps his neck, and then he has a line of just sort of like he won't be doing that anymore, and it's just sort of like, oh my god, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> Yeah, the, then the comic code came out, and they were just sort of like, "Ooh, what do we do with our vigilante?" Yeah, and that's where he starts getting a little campy, and the uh, the Batman doesn't kill uh, kind of mantra begins. Uh, it's something that you know the Batman doesn't stick to it necessarily like like glue, but it's still something that's carried through even to this day that he's reluctant to take a life at least. It, it really depends. Um what you're looking in movies he does and that's right. always something that bothers me or movies me. on or, or, or television honestly right. even the animated it was it was he didn't kill in the animated series. exactly i know yeah. that's what I, oh okay yeah. sorry um but yeah like when he gets to the screen though for some reason they decide to throw that rule out <laughs> yeah or at least kind of make it a gray area i mean if you look at like 1989's uh batman uh, he drives the batmobile remote control into a factory drops bombs at people's feet and then Explode! It, it explodes. That's murder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you can't. Uh, it, like I said, it, it's not stuck to like glue. All right. It, it is still something that kind of has survived and stays with Batman throughout his uh, future incarnations. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it was there originally or not. It's it's a part of him I like because mm-hmm. anytime it's put in in the hands of the right writer, they when they. Ex- have him express why he doesn't do it. And it's this idea of, because that's what they do. That's mm-hmm. what the villain does. Right. I'm not supposed to be them. I'm supposed to be better than them. And while it does, cause I've, I've heard fans say the opposite of just sort of like how many lives would he save if he just started killing them? But then it's like, well then where does he stop? Mm-hmm. And it's this great debate that Bruce probably had in his head a hundred times. Yeah. So it, it's a part of the character that I love. and I'm glad it's still there when done right. Exactly. Well, and it makes sense, too, because the whole reason of Batman's being what why Bruce Wayne goes on this quest to, you know, to, to become Batman, uh, to avenge his parents who were murdered, gunned down in front of him. Yeah, you, you, you can see where he knows what damage that does to somebody for to have a loved one killed. You can see where he would like, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to make someone else suffer like I've had to suffer. It makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so 15 years on film, uh, TV or uh, or otherwise, you just get the, uh, I guess the cartoons kind of filled the gap in the uh, 50s and 60s. Um, maybe a little bit of, well, not, not even then, I guess. I was going to say, I'm trying to remember when the first Super Friends cartoon came about. That was sometime in the 60s. Seven. 70s? No, I think the first 60s? ones were in the 60s. I could be wrong. I don't have that in front Definitely of me. Definitely not actually. around then. <laughs> yeah. Not in the 50s. That's a, There you go. So, yeah, 1966 is when they debuted Batman with Adam West. You know, they did the Batman the movie yes. and then the Batman uh, series, which ran for three years, I believe. Something like that. Mm-hmm. And that kind of helped define Batman for a long time. Unfortunately. <laughs> uh, the next 20-some years... That's Batman. Mm-hmm. Even though in the books, 
um, it wasn't too long after that that the book started going darker again. Yeah, that really shifted when... Um, Miller? Someone else. Yes, Frank Miller. When Frank Miller came out with The Dark Knight Returns, that's when people were just sort of like, okay, maybe he should be dark again. Hmm. Maybe he should get into that place again. And it really kind of brought that, that side of Batman back to the mainstream. Now, the uh, executive producer, uh, Michael Uslan, had been trying to bring Batman to the screen um, for ages, but studios pretty much just said, no, Batman's, you know, he wanted to do a dark Batman, mm-hmm. but the studios were like, no, that's, you know, they kept pointing to the 66, they kept pointing to Adam West, it was like, you can't, you know, that's Batman, you can't do that, no one's going to buy a serious Batman movie, and it was, you know, the comics that started getting darker, and it became really popular and everything, and he went to him once again and said, well, how about <laughs> it? And they they took the gamble. Uh, Michael Usson, uh, he executive produced every Batman film from 1989 on. Yeah. Uh, including Mask of the Phantasm, we're going to talk about here later. And as a, he was the one. He was the guy that really kept pushing for it and, um, and, and got it done. And so 1989, you know, Michael Keaton shows up. I remember when that was cast, and I heard Michael Keaton. Mr. Mom. (laughs) Mr. Mom. Yeah, you can't do it. He's a comedian. How is he going to do this? But I'll be damned. You know what? I love that film. I still think that's a fun film. I enjoy the 89 Batman. Eh. You're looking at me like like You can like it. It's fine. (laughs) I I used to really like it, and then I got into the comic books, and Mm. then I was just sort of like, this isn't – I've – I enjoyed that movie. I loved the comic books. And this is like, it's, that's this is no longer that. That movie is no longer what I've now fallen in love with. And it's just sort of like, he's stiff, he's rigid, yeah. he doesn't emote. Because in the comic books, even if he's not working with someone, you've got his inner monologue. So you know what's going through his mind. Whereas in this, mm, blank. Mm. And I, I think that's what kind of makes it easy to like. And of, you know, people always say, like, oh, he did a really good Bruce Wayne. He was so conflicted. I'm like, he just sort of stood there with nothing on his face. and See, I actually thought that was one of the things. That's the big de- decider for me on an actor doing Batman is can he be Bruce Wayne and can he be Batman? Because those are two different characters. So you have to act two different ways. I thought Michael Keaton, I thought, did a pretty good job of being the sort of aloof playboy of Bruce Wayne. And then when he puts on the cow, and a lot of it is just because that particular outfit did not allow for a lot of movement. Right. The whole body turned to look <laughs> yeah. left and right. But he would take on the, I'm Batman. <laughs> and then then he'd be like, oh, hi, I'm Bruce Wayne. It was just the way he would talk. And I was like, I, I like that. that. Not all actors can do that or mm. have done that. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> he murders the Joker. <laughs> well. Yeah. And giving the Joker an origin story really, really right. takes that movie down. All right. Well, maybe me. it's a product, a product of its time. Absolutely. I mean, I, I love how it looked. You can mm-hmm. absolutely see how the animated series took straight from it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, you know, visually it's wonderful. Um, that Batmobile looks really cool. I think that's still my favorite look for a Batmobile with the fire coming out the back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know Adam West did that, but his car looks stupid. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> There's no roof. <laughs> you roll that sucker, you're dead. <laughs> it's not good for a crime fighter. I'd still take it. I'd still, still drive that it. Batmobile. 
Um, so yeah, but the way Batman acted and the things he did, and and even in the second movie, he just there's a part where he like takes a bomb, puts it on a clown, walks away with a smile on his face. The clown explodes. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, I didn't care for the second movie as much. You know, and it's the worst interpretation of the Penguin I think I've ever seen. Yeah, Danny DeVito is a wonderful actor. He played what was written in the script, but that is not Oswald Cobblepot. Yeah, and I think that's really the beginning of even, I guess, actually, the first film. I mean, it started, immediately started a trend of like, oh, let's get these big name actors and mm-hmm. have them do these, these worlds. And I think that really hurt the franchise as it progressively as it went on. You could kind of accept it and, okay, I'll give you the first one. And they're like, okay, you did it again. Could could we not? Right. And they didn't, and they just kept going. And, like, they just kept piling them on. Mm-hmm. Okay, the next film, we'll have three of them, and right. we'll have big names. We'll have Tommy Lee Jones coming down the ride, and we'll have Jim Carrey. and uh, Chris right. O'Donnell. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, uh, can we stop now? Right. <laughs> can we pick some actors and not just names? Yeah, exactly. And it also started, that second movie started multiple villains like mm-hmm. that whole thing and like they do it all the time now your first movie is going to have one villain but after that two three seven villains and it doesn't always get juggled well uh, before i forget i did um, put out the question uh yesterday about uh, just in general favorite batman portrayer and and or film we got a lot of responses actually overwhelming for Clooney. no i'm kidding no. <laughs> We do uh, right off the bat, Thomas Branner goes with Kevin Can- Conroy in Mask of the Phantasm. Sarah Tallett goes for Michael Keaton. Uh, let's see, we got another, uh, we got a Dark Knight as a favorite Batman movie. So, uh, best portrayer of Wayne in Batman, Joe Field says it'll be Keaton. And the best film is, he says Batman hyphen the Dark Knight. So I don't know if he means the 89 Batman or if that's one of the uh, uh, Christian Bale films. I'm not, should have asked him. Uh, Leslie Morris says Conroy is the definitive Batman. I can't entirely disagree. <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly. Rod Moon says the uh, the best voice is Kevin Conroy and uh, Michael Keaton as acting as Batman. But he really likes the Dark Knight movie, so he really got, put it all. He over. just likes yeah, he just likes Batman. Jim Hancock likes the Dark Knight trilogy hands down. He likes Christian Bale, so he's a big fan of those. Um, we got another Bale from Karen. Uh, Scott Morris jumps in with Adam West in the 66 Batman. Yeah, there are a few people that said Adam West. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leslie Morris actually p- points out that he, he hates all the 90s movies. <laughs> uh, neither director understood the character. Uh, they did something interesting, and let's see, Burton turned him into something closer to a weird performance artist rather than a high-tech ninja, and Schumacher turned it into a middle-aged gay man who's into twinks. <laughs> That's a rough way to describe it. Yes, it is. But I'm not going to say you're wrong. Yeah, yeah, I can't disagree. I might have found a more polite way of saying it. Yeah. Kelly Huggaboom says she really liked the Nolan film, uh, but then the the franchise just got darker and more up its ass. (laughs) I love that. As for the man himself, she's a Keaton fan. So yeah, that is. I kind of agree with her there too. That the you know I was willing to go along with Christian Bale in the first Dark Knight, uh, in the first his first Batman film, and then I like eh, after that I just liked him less and less. 
And then I threw it out on Twitter, and I got a response uh, from my friend Dot. She says, I think Michael Keaton. I feel like I should say Bale, but Keaton's was the one that showed me Batman could be dark and detective-y. Mm-hmm. <laughs> New word. I don't know when Michael Keaton was a detective in that movie. Yeah, no. No. I, I'm going to have to disagree with that. I, I, I don't know one scene. When he when he's a detective, um, my friend Andy jumped in. He said, "Movie wise, Mask of the Phantasm. It wasn't an origin film. It was just a great fun story for people who already liked Batman." And then he said, "As for actors, they're all kind of crap. <laughs> Keaton was likable, but I don't think likability should be the bar we set for picking the Batman." <laughs> no, that's true. I've known Andy for a long time. I love him. <laughs> uh, and then I said. Um, what about Conroy? And he said, I left out voice acting intentionally. Conroy's performance is always great, sometimes better than the writing. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that. Yeah. He, he had been given a lot of lines over the years that you're just sort of like, how can you make this good? Like, I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman. Right. If I read that, I would have been like, can I break my contract? <laughs> I love it when oh, he delivers that line. Great. It's so good coming from him. And I don't think anybody else could ever pull it off. And I don't know how much was directed and how much was him, but he has a – again, it goes back to the – there's Bruce Wayne and there's Batman, and he plays two different characters. Very when he different. does Bruce Wayne, his voice is looser. It's it's dropped down a little bit, just a little, a little higher, I should say. Yeah. You know, it's, and it's definitely more carefree. Mm-hmm. And when he switches to the Batman, the register drops. It's, you know, it's – it's not the Christian Bale. I've got something in my throat, yeah. but it's just a little darker. It's a little. It's a little more low key, and he can just switch it, and I love that. Yeah. I want to. I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast or I mentioned it to you, but one of my favorite scenes was in the animated series. He's Bruce Wayne. He's in Wayne Enterprises or whatever, and there's an alarm goes off or explosion or something, and the security guard is like, "Oh, Mr. Wayne, here, uh, stay in here, and I'll I'll come back when it's safe." And he blocks him in like some storage closet, and Bruce Wayne's like, "Stay here," and then suddenly, I don't think so. Yes, I love that. <laughs> it, that was the first time when I was a kid that I realized there were two different voices. Because they, he did them back to back like that, and because yeah. there's not a lot of episodes of the animated series where he is Bruce Wayne. For the most part, he's Batman, cape and cowl the whole time. Right, and that when he's in the Batcave, he's still in that voice. There's mm-hmm. not too many Bruce Wayne moments, but that was one of them. And I remember just sitting there going, "Wait a minute, <laughs> that was a different voice. I never noticed that before. Wow." <laughs> and I've heard him give a lot of interviews in in. Conroy has said that the Batman voice is actually Bruce's real voice, Mm. that the other one is the act, and that that voice comes from a place of pain and a place of sorrow, and that his voice became that as he embraced that darker side of himself. And so that's not the act. That's who he really is. Mm -hmm. And I'm just sitting there going, this man understands this character like nobody. There's been a lot of psychological papers, like serious papers, college thesis and professional papers who that that have been written that are kind of arguments one way or the other about who's the real person. And there's a lot of people that will say that Batman is the man yeah. and Bruce Wayne is the facade. Absolutely. Um, there, there is those that will argue that say, no, Bat, that Bruce Wayne is the real person and Batman is the facade. But it's in a, And it's created by Bruce Wayne's um, wants to do right and that he created Batman to do it. So, it, the, so Bruce Wayne is the real man. But 
there's, I mean, it's 50-50. I think yeah. it's across the board. Yeah, I, I'm of the mind that Batman is the real person that Bruce created, and he doesn't know how to go back. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not a split personality, but it is It is a, a calling of his that he doesn't know how to let go of, and that everything he does is Bruce Wayne is just an act that he's still Bruce Wayne, but he's not this goofball. I'm going to buy this and, you know, have all these women around me. Like, that's just so no one would think this guy is Batman. And the real guy to me is not the guy in the cowl is not the guy parting. It's the guy sitting in the cave with Alfred next to him. Mm -hmm. That's the most real version of himself. And I think with that as a great segue, just go ahead and start jumping into the mask of the phantasm. We, okay. <laughs> we both got we both just got the brand new Blu-ray that has finally been released. Yes. Twenty three years since the film was released. Yeah. Uh, before since we twenty twenty three twenty four yeah yeah, yeah uh, Blu-ray. This is the third time I've bought the film. I had the, <laughs> the clamshell VHS. Do you still have it? No, I do not. What I a, do not. That would be a great collection. That would be. <laughs> and then I, I did have the, the very crummy, it was one of those DVDs that was like the, the paper and plastic DVD case. Oh, yeah. I still have that. So this is like my the third time I've bought the film. Uh, the Blu-ray. This is now behind glass box. <laughs> <laughs> it was as soon as I got it. It's kind of like DVD out, Blu-ray in, and the, on the shelf. Yeah. Who wants this for ten cents? <laughs> yeah, it's gonna it's gonna go back. To, it's gonna if anyone needs a Batman Mask of the Phantasm DVD, it's gonna be going to half price books along with the whole. <laughs> I'm kind of kind of doing a little bit of a purge. So, um, so right off the bat, uh, quality wise, I think it looks great. Yeah. Um, they did a really nice job uh, remastering it up to the 1080p. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of times, you know, I have to admit, when I first plugged in, I was like curious. Okay, let's compare it. And I was like throwing the DVD, and I had the DVD in the player, the Blu-ray in the player, and I was swapping back and forth on the TV. And when I was sitting up, I was like kneeling in front of the TV so I could do it right, you know, close. And I was like, oh, it just kind of looks kind of fuzzy. It's like they just sort of blurred it a little bit or whatever. Um but when I actually watched the film and sat there with the family and sat back on the couch and had it up on the big screen there, man, it looked good. Yeah, it, <laughs> it looks really, really good. It looks really good. Then they just did a lot to remaster the music. Mm-hmm. I love the fantastic. music. It did. The, um, the, the music is all very good. Uh, yeah, we should mention, I mean, the Mask of the Phantasm picks up right in the middle of sort of the animated series, the same animators, the same style. Yes. Which takes off largely inspired by the 92 uh, or 89 and 92 uh, films. Yeah. Yeah. Visually. Visually. Uh, so the music is also kind of uh, Danny Elfman inspired. Mm-hmm. No, not Danny Elfman. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. So, um, yeah, they're very similar theme songs, but you can tell the difference between the two. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I love, you know, before we get into it, I, yeah, I want to mention the negatives of this Blu-ray real quick. Yeah. Just so that we don't end on that because it's just the movie. It is. That's it. <laughs> that's it. You can you can see the original like 93 trailer, which I didn't watch. Nope, <laughs> I didn't feel I like watching watch that with the voiceover. Yeah, the, your options are the theatrical version and the television version. And I don't know. I didn't know there were two different versions. The only thing I can think of is a television version maybe would be standard. Yeah. Uh, a crop maybe. Maybe. I uh, didn't watch that. I didn't either. <laughs> um. Yeah, so there's no commentary, which I would have loved if this movie had commentary from, like, Conroy and Mark Hamill. Absolutely. (laughs) I'd watch that every day. Very disappointed that there was no... We mentioned it when it came out, that uh, when the news came out, it was like, no news on special features. Right. We we were thinking, well, maybe they're just not releasing the news. I was hopeful. 
Yeah. It's nothing. Yeah, nothing. Very bare bones. But you still get what I think is the best Batman movie. So it's still completely yeah. worth it. They just could have done better. Mm-hmm. Yep. But yeah, to get back into the movie, um, director was uh, Eric Radamski. And he still today is producing a lot of animated movies and shows. So, like, this is his, like, his niche, and he's really good uh-huh. at it. And then Bruce Timm, who pretty much helped create the show. Right. Um, it's his art style, the way Batman was designed, and all the characters are designed. Yes. And he did a great job with that, of giving every character its, its unique look throughout the series. I love the look of the series um, and the film. And I kind of imagine it as sort of – it's either a – it's an alternate – post-war universe yeah. or or a universe where the war never happened <laughs> you know in like or like the 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 1930s the, the the stock market crash and all that never happened and so the roaring 20s just went on into the 40s and 50s and yeah. that's where we are right that's I, where that's where i picture this animated series in the film is an alternate 40s or 50s where the 20s just kept going but then there's still like a supercomputer in his car yeah, true. So, like, yeah, yeah that's but- one of the things about, like, they created this world that, yeah, it has that older look to it and the way the cars look and the police and the the, the wardrobe and, and the fedoras and the blimps overhead for no reason. <laughs> and, you know, you've got, like, these roadways that are, like, hundreds of feet into the air connecting from building to building and yet people have cell phones. True. Okay. And you're just sitting there going like, when is this? What is <laughs> happening? And it works. Well, that's where I was saying that. It's like this alternate reality yeah. where the Roaring Twenties kept going. The war didn't – there was no stock market crash. Uh-huh. There was no war. Nothing – think of the advancements that we might have made true. had we not had to pause for almost a decade. Yeah. You know? So – and I'm, I'm willing wondering, to give it. <laughs> yeah, and I'm wondering, did they think of it that way, or did they just sort of like, this looks cool, let's yeah. just do it that way? <laughs> Bruce, are you okay? I'm fine. Look, giant building roads connecting them. <laughs> okay, we'll come back with we'll you. Come back, yeah. <laughs> Is that train going into the building? Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. I would love to sit down and just talk with them and ask them like five questions to figure out, how did you design this mm-hmm. crazy city that I accept? Yeah. Um, and then you have four writers on it. Um, there were a lot of other people credited because they made certain characters, but the actual writers of the movie, um, Alan Burnett and Paul Dini. Paul Dini, to me, is the gr- single greatest writer of Batman ever. And those two names are connected to the animated series yeah. and, as, as a whole as well. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and did you ever read uh, – Paul Dini came out with a, a comic book a few years ago uh, called like A Real Dark Knight Story or something mm-hmm. like that. It's essentially this snippet from his life. It's this like snippet uh, autobiography done as a comic book where it's the true story about how he got mugged and beaten mm. to like within a few feet of his life and like how he was going through depression and all of that right in the middle of the show being made it wasn't like years later like he was still working on it he was at that moment of his life he was still working on mass of the phantasm and he Mm. was like writing he's he wrote everything with the joker and like he wasn't meeting deadlines so if you want to read a really good comic book and deal with how good a writer he is for something serious Go check out that comic I book. I will look for that, yeah. And as he's going through things and he's processing it, he's imagining himself talking to these different characters. Like Batman shows up and is like, why didn't you do anything? He goes, well, maybe if I was a billionaire who had the skills of a ninja, I could have fought them off. <laughs> and so he's arguing with these characters right. that he's engrossed with. Interesting. And then it also had writing credits from uh, Martin Pasco and Michael Reeves. 
unfortunately, I don't know who they are. <laughs> no, fortunately not. No, not names I'm familiar with. But good job, guys. <laughs> yes, everyone did excellent work. Yep. And then, yeah, the music, which pulls you in mm-hmm. right from the start. I love that the theme, it's this sort of Gregorian chant almost. Yes. Um, according to the, some of the trivia, it's actually the, a lot of the production team's names pronounced backwards and then sung. Okay. <laughs> that's the wow. Chant. That's what you're hearing. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, but worked on by Shelley Walker, who I looked mm-hmm. her up. Uh, I only know her name uh, because it's also connected to both the film and, I think, the series. Yeah, she's been involved with the series, and she, I just feel she doesn't get enough credit uh, for, for what she did. Because I, I really wanted to like test if this movie stood the test of time, not just from a rewatch. I was like, okay, it has a special place in my heart. I'll never let it go. I'm biased to all hell. How do I know if this thing's still good today? Mm-hmm. I have a friend that I work with. She's a huge geek. She loves comic books, movies, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, everything, but she's never seen this. Wow. Okay. And so when I found that out, I went, you're going to borrow this Blu-ray, and you're going to tell me what you think next week. Mm-hmm. Saw her just a few days ago. She goes, I have your movie. I go, what did you think? And she goes, it was so good. Mm-hmm. And there's your test, that there's somebody who loves all of this stuff, who keeps up with all this modern you know, comic book superhero stuff right. and loved it. I think a lot of that, a the story of course is just phenomenal, but because it's set in this weird universe, that's timeless. That's both past and present. Mm-hmm. It doesn't age right. and being animated, you know, even if it wasn't animated, honestly, if it, the, the universe that they've created, it, what, it doesn't age. Right. It still works. I mean, you'd have to get so far flung into the future where, like, phones are What's like... What's a car? <laughs> yeah. I, I just don't know if you could go far enough where this film wouldn't just hold up. Yeah. And so that that was... I was really happy when she told me that. I was like, okay, it's not just me. I'm not just <laughs> fanboying for this thing. This is a good movie. Now, uh, one person, one, your one friend mentioned that it's not an origin story, which yeah. is kind of true, but... It's it deals with true. his past. It, it, well, it does deal with him creating the Batman persona. Yeah. It doesn't deal with his parents get like it doesn't show his parents getting murdered. Right. It doesn't show, you him know, going through all the training. Yes. Yeah. We're just sort of dealing with this moment in Bruce Wayne's life that a lot of people don't stop and consider, you know, just before the beginning. Right. Just before the first night. And you know, could anything have changed his mind is essentially the question they ask. That's what I love about this film. And it's not something that I think people immediately connect with or whatever, that it's – this is not a happy story. No. This is a horrible story. This for is everybody. A, for everybody. This is very dramatic. This is a tragedy because this is everything that could have allowed Bruce to live a happy life. I mean, it – Fate works against him to mm-hmm. prevent him from any chance of happiness. Right. It, it takes away his parents. It takes away his one chance at maybe finding someone that would allow him to move on, you know, from this from this tragedy. It takes it all away and turns him into Batman. Batman's right. not I – mean, he's a good guy, but he's he's a broken character. I, I don't know how to describe him. It, 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 he's a tragic character. Yes, absolutely. And this is the story of how he just constantly – just gets kicked when yes. he's down mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or when he's finally climbing up 
And he gets kicked. Yes. And and knocked down. And no other Batman movie has even come close to that. Maybe The Dark Knight. But the problem was is I didn't believe in that love story. Mm -hmm. It felt so forced to me. And this one that happens in half the time (laughs) is completely believable. You are rooting for these characters. Even though you know it's a flashback and you know it didn't work, you still find yourself going, end up together, please. Yes. You because, want the happy ending. Right. They help each other because in – Nolan had I, – I tallied it up. It's some like seven and a half hours between those three movies and he didn't touch on any of the things that this movie does in under an hour and a half. And starting with, you know, could Bruce have been happy? Mm-hmm. And, you know – he tried to be. He wanted to be, and then something out of his control prevented him from being happy, and so he becomes Batman. Whereas when Nolan tells a story, Bruce is fighting hard to stop being Batman. He doesn't want to be Batman. Mm-hmm. Whereas back in Mask of the Phantasm, there's no other option. Right. And then even after the Dark Knight ends, Bruce stops being Batman, and he stops being Bruce, too. He doesn't do anything for eight years. <laughs> and then he comes back, and then he has the happy ending right. at the end of all of that. Paul Dini, Bruce Tim, Alan Burnett, they, were, they would be like, that's not happening to him. No so, way. <laughs> I love the fact that, I mean, what we see in the film, what we see in Mask of the Phantasm, him being denied a chance of happiness with Andrea Beaumont, is probably more of the um, the engine that gets him to be Batman than the death of his parents. Yeah. He's at the point where he, he is even admitting to his parents. He's at their grave. He's found Andre, uh, Andrea, and they're happy. He you know he's, he wants to maybe get married and everything. And he tells her, like, it just doesn't hurt as much anymore. Yeah. So I know I made a promise, but it just doesn't hurt anymore. He's actually emotionally moved past the death of his parents. Right. Um, 20 years later. 20-some years later. And he's ready to, you know, move on. And, and right. he's like, I'll, I'll give money to the police. They can mm-hmm. hire more cops. You know, I don't – it just doesn't hurt anymore. I want to be happy. You know, give me a sign that she should – I get him. I'm getting, there's a little bit of emotion in my throat. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's funny. This is a yeah. freaking cartoon, and I get emotional at Yeah. And, and it's it, because it's that kind of story. Exactly. It's that kind of relationship. And so in, in the end, when that life gets taken from him, a- Andrea has to just disappear, breaks off the engagement. And now he's at this point. He's like, oh, well, I've been training all this time. I might as well. I mean, right. that's why he finally becomes Batman. Mm-hmm. It's, it's more of a, well, I've already done all the work. I might as well go ahead with it. See, I take it from a, an even further point of view of you you she sends him the note she sends back the ring and he crumples the note and it immediately cuts to him he's he's clearly up more time has gone by it's not like later that night no he's worked on the outfit and he's putting it on to me it's like he's putting it on because he's pissed off he's just sort of like fine there's nobody here i'm gonna go out there i'm gonna kick some ass i'm gonna be the scariest person to walk off them Mm -hmm. and it's just it's it's rage and it's fury and it's that anger and that pain and there's almost no turning back right but then the other side of it is when he's dating andrea you see how conflicted he is he's i want to be happy with her but that guy over there is getting robbed and i i have to stop it Mm -hmm. and he doesn't 
he's not that successful at it. You know, he tries to stop those guys on the motorcycle and they beat him up. And it's this idea. He's thinking to himself, is she holding me back? Mm-hmm. I still want to do this. I still want to fight for people of Gotham. But can I do it if I'm happy? Mm-hmm. And that explains that, nope, I'm pissed off now right. and I'm going to be bad. Well, that, that moment takes place before he goes to his parents right, at the exactly. graveyard. And that's what really is like, I can't, I can't do, do this if someone's waiting for me at home. And yeah. it just doesn't hurt as much as it used to. So, And I love that line. It yeah. doesn't hurt as much anymore. Mm-hmm. You're just sort of like, Bruce, <laughs> why? <laughs> there are some phenomenal lines. And, you know, hit. His and Andrea's relationship isn't the only great one. This is probably one of the best examples of the relationship between Bruce and Alfred. Yeah. Alfred is phenomenal in this. Not a lot of screen time, and you no, but so he good. makes up for it with every single scene that yeah. he's in. Um, you really get an idea of the relationship. Alfred has raised this man. Mm-hmm. He's taken care of this man. He's accepted what Bruce has chosen to do. But he's also his confidant and his friend, uh, and to the point where I think one of my favorite lines, one of my favorite scenes is uh, Alfred's reading the paper and has has bats gone batty or whatever the headline, you know, and he's like, oh, pure poppycock. You're the very model of sanity. Oh, by the way, I've ironed your tights and put away your exploding gas balls. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it, it, that's it's a joke. You know, and, and Bruce is like. Thanks, Alfred. Yeah. <laughs> I love that interplay between the two, that that's the, the level of their relationship. That he, Yes, Alfred does technically work for Bruce, but he's raised him. He's his father, for lack of a better term, and he's his best friend. He's everything mm-hmm. that Bruce needs. Right. And it, it's all kind of like in that little scene right there exactly. because they're in the Batcave. You know, but it's Bruce Wayne at the computer, and it's Alfred, but it, they're still talking Batman. It's like... It's everything right in that scene. Mm-hmm. And it go, we've talked about this scene before when he suits up as Batman for the first time and he puts on the cowl and he turns and Alfred sees him and he's scared because mm-hmm. he realizes, I don't know who this guy is right now. Yeah. And he just scared me. He just me. transformed right in front of me. Yeah. yeah. And no other movie has ever shown that before. Every other movie, he's just sort of like, yeah, that's Bruce. He dresses up like Batman. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the other Alfred scene is um, towards the end, you know, uh, after after the big battle and everything, and and Bruce is he couldn't save Andrea, and he's Alfred was like I don't think she wanted to be saved, yeah. you know. So, and he, what is, what was his line about revenge is like a um, oh, a dark pit, a dark pit, and you you know you walk the, the that edge every night, and you've not fallen in, and you know I thank heavens for that. But she fell in years ago. Yeah, another fantastic scene with Alfred. Just again, you know. It showing his love for the for for Bruce and knowing that he is on the always on the cusp of crossing the line, but doesn't you mm-hmm. know, and that he cares for him and that he, um, you know, effectively. I mean, if he was a religious man, he prays for him every night when he yeah. goes out, kind of thing. You know, exactly. he's going to come back and not cross that line. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the only relationship that they don't explore that they could have would probably have been between Batman and Gordon. You can Talk see that they very little screen time. Yeah, is thirty seconds kind of thing. Right. Yeah. You, you can see they have a relationship where he's just sort of like, I'm not investigating him, yeah. and then he goes in his office. That's kind of it. Right. Um, I would love to have seen more. The the series does a great job showing yes, their relationship. Um, but I love how they used uh, Harvey Bullock. <laughs> no other movie has ever even put Harvey Bullock 
on screen, and that is such a tragedy. They haven't. Has he not been in? Not by name, not, huh. not that I can think of. There's some had. characters that people have sort of said, "Oh, he kind of represents Bullock." Like there was this one detective in the Dark Knight, mm. uh, the the guy who, uh, like you know, after Batman did the interrogation scene with Joker, and you know, Joker eggs him on to beating him. Mm-hmm. People are like, "I think that's supposed to be Harvey Bullock," but it, it not in name. Okay. And I always thought it would have been cool that if the third Dark Knight movie, the third Nolan movie, would have been. The mayor says, we're going to catch Batman, and I've brought in this new detective, mm. and it's Harvey Bullock, and it's detective <laughs> on detective, and it's just – that would have been a great movie. Yeah. But no one takes advantage of this great character outside of yeah. Mask oh, of the Phantasm. Yeah. No, Bullock is a brilliant character throughout uh-huh. the entire series. Yes, and you know he's, I'm going to bring him in. That scene where they're chasing Batman, and they get a lucky shot off, and something explodes – and he, you know, his head is injured. He's dizzy. Um, his only shot to get away is to do the fake cowl. Yeah. He has no mask on. Right. First time I watched that, I remember being like, all they have to do is see his face. Mm-hmm. If they see his face, he's caught. Right. And I was freaking out. <laughs> they are right behind him and he has nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. And you think the plot shows up when Andrea pulls up in her car and she's just sort of like, get in. And then you realize, oh, no. Yeah. There's a reason she was <laughs> in the neighborhood. There's a reason yeah. she was there. Um, but then let's talk about the villain, mm-hmm. Phantasm. Right, an original villain. Yes, no movies ever done that, yeah. and it, a scary villain, a freaking serial killer with a blade for a hand. <laughs> Everyone else has some kind of gimmick. Phantasm has a freaking axe and a smoke machine. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, dry ice wherever he goes. Right, <laughs> and. The wonderful voice work of Stacy Keach, mm-hmm. whose voice is terrifying. Yes. <laughs> and the cool part about Phantasm, Phantasm does not care about Batman. Phantasm is not there to disrupt Batman's life. Phantasm mm-hmm. has his, his own agenda. His own quest, yeah. And it just so happens to affect Batman's life. Mm-hmm. It is an accident that people think Batman is killing now. Right. That, that was not the goal. The goal was this... Very specific, taking out these old mobsters for reasons we don't fully understand until the detective work is done. We see Batman, the detective. We see him. Like, there's a whole scene where he's just quietly standing in a room looking at pictures, trying to piece things together. Mm -hmm. Nobody else has done that. It's these little things that are completely about the character that I love about this movie. And as you start to figure out what Phantasm is doing, it all makes sense. And these moments of the plot showing up are not plot. It's the character driving the moments. And that's what I love about it. And yeah, Phantasm is terrifying. <laughs> Could you imagine if they adapted this movie for live action and you had that that Death Reaper look mm-hmm. with the knife of a, like a PG-13 movie? Yeah. Like that knife would get bloody pretty yeah. quick. How, like, from your memory, how much screen time would you have said the Joker had? Probably the, I would have guessed the last quarter. I remember, the, the, I mean, the finale and everything involves the Joker. Mm-hmm. So I know he, he makes an appearance towards the end of the film. I probably, on, on just rough guess, I would say half. You know, from the time he shows up, somewhere in the halfway mark would, be, would have been my guess from my memory. Because this is a film I remembered really well. This isn't one of those films where 
you you go and oh, I didn't remember that. You know, I remember this film from when I saw it in the theater. Yeah. So <laughs> so it had you know. I, I had only rewatched it like a few years ago before the Blu-ray came out, but before then it had been a while. And I remember at that first rewatch being like, the Joker's in a lot of this movie, isn't he? He's in like 12 minutes of yeah. this movie and it, he's so memorable mm-hmm. and it's the lines, it's the way he's introduced and it's Mark freaking Hamill yes. <laughs> being the best version of the Joker there will ever be. Yeah, absolutely. I remember watching the series and, not really paying attention much to the the credits at the end, and I'm watching everything. It was kind of one of those things that flashed by. And I'm like, wait a minute, rewind that because we happened to be watching it on. You know, we had recorded it. And... No, <laughs> <laughs> as the Joker. <laughs> From that point on, we we made a point to pause and read all the names uh-huh. <laughs> because they'd have some huge names throughout the series right. that would come in and do voice work. And, but yeah, Mark Hamill, like, wait, that Mark, that, that not that Mark, Luke, yeah, is it Luke Skywalker's the Joker? <laughs> He's two of the most iconic things ever. Yeah, but uh, do you know the story about how he became the Joker? My, how Mark Hamill got the yeah. role? Um. I want to say yes, but I don't remember. So he was involved with the show very early on, and he, like, did a couple of, like, henchman voice parts. Mm. So, like, when you watch the first few episodes, you're just sort of like, is that Mark Hamill? That sounds it familiar, is. yeah. And he right away wanted to be a big villain. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, I want to be the Joker. And if I'm remembering right, they were like, oh, we've already got Tim Curry. Hmm. Hmm. I probably would have accepted it and been okay with it. <laughs> he probably wouldn't still be doing that voice part 20-some-odd years, almost yeah. 30 years later. And so he was like, oh, I guess I'm out of the running then. Yeah. <laughs> Tim Curry's a big star. He goes, so, well, keep me in mind in case you need, like, a Hugo Strange, because apparently he's this huge comic book geek. Oh, nice. And he knows yeah, all okay. of the characters. And he's like, I, I've got, I can do the parts for you right now. I can give you the – we'll keep you in mind. Apparently Tim Curry had to drop out. And so they gave him a call. They said, well, can you come in and read for the Joker? And he blew them away. He had it ready to go. The the sound, like, when I read the comic books, I can't help it. I read it in his voice. Mm -hmm. It's not intentional at all. And I do the pacing the way he does it. I hear the laugh the way he does it because it's perfect. Yeah. No, he he nails it. Yeah, I can't imagine any other Joker than Mark Hamill anymore. Uh, whether I'm reading it or uh, even watching the film, or if I watch any film that has a Joker, and it's like, yeah, it's not really the Joker because it's not Mark Hamill. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the Joker from the animated series. Right. And there have been some good ones. Um, John DiMaggio did the Joker in one of my favorite animated-to-video movies, uh, Batman Under the Red Hood. He did this really much more gruff-sounding Joker, mm. but he was still kind of funny, very yeah. menacing. So he's kind of like my second favorite uh, voice work for the Joker. I mean, I love what Heath Ledger did, but it just wasn't my Joker. It mm. was, you know, Joker the anarchist, not Joker the sociopathic clown. Right. He, his Joker didn't really make me laugh outside of one line. Mm. <laughs> Mark Hamill's Joker, the animated series Joker, is kind of taking the look of the Cesar Romero from the 66, mm-hmm. but actually giving him the actual um, crazy, uh, yeah, anarchist slash um, murderous would be another word. Yeah. I mean, giving him the, the, the dark and, and twisted personality of the, the comics Joker. 
but then yeah. put it in like Cesar Romero's body. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he's funny. Uh-huh. He's got some lines in this that I had forgotten about because didn't think about them when I was younger, but you hear them now and you're just sort of like, how did they slip that in? Mm. Like the part at the end when he's just in the, the, uh, you know, the, the, the goth, the go ham fair. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and he's there and he's got the, the mechanical, uh, robot wife. Right. And then he's by himself and he looks at her and he says, uh, feeling any of the old electricity tonight? Like, what is he about to do with this robot? And then Phantasm comes in and he goes, you get in the mood and company shows up. <laughs> this is a kid's movie, right? No? Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, the way they write the Joker and the fact that the Joker is well, – he is the Joker. I mean there, there's this, the moment where he's fighting with uh, Phantasm and he's pressed against the back of the table and he's reaching behind him and there's a knife and a big thing of baloney. What does he grab? What's funniest? The baloney. <laughs> right. Heath Ledger's Joker would have grabbed Grab the knife. Would have grabbed the knife. And right. that's the difference. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's still a moment for a gag. Right. And that's the Joker. Um, the other thing I liked, and even though I said it about the 89 Batman movie, how that gave Joker this definitive origin story, this doesn't give him an origin story, but it shows you who he was before, Mm -hmm. but he never speaks. You don't know how high a level he was. He's creepy as hell, even then, where he's just sort of lurking and Mm -hmm. staring and, you know, he does like the the growl. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Like he makes you uncomfortable. He walks out after he takes out her father and you're just sort of like oh god Mm -hmm. who was this guy like maybe being the joker tamed him a little bit (laughs) (laughs) because now he goes for what's funnier he used to grab for the knife now he grabs the baloney (laughs) so yeah it it, it's not an origin story but it's kind of this nod to he was still a criminal before, and mm-hmm. it's the closest thing they've ever done to an origin story in the animated world, but still not naming him. And I really liked it. Yeah. I mean, most people will will tell you, the fans of this film will tell you, it is the best Batman film. Um, I, I say that without any hesitation. Yeah. Of all the Batman film that I've seen, this is the best. This has the best performances it has the best action it's the best story it's just across the board the best film i really i mean it's getting to the point now where i'm thinking well i don't know what else to say about it other than it's just the best (laughs) batman film and the other thing i think that makes it so good is it's wonderful use of symbolism throughout the movie especially with the uh the world's fair that you know they they go on their date uh, oh right bruce and andrea they Mm -hmm. go on their date and that world's fair completely represents them mm-hmm. like here's the future it's bright here's it's the beautiful future that you could have yes and he sees the car i thought yes. that was great yes. he's like wow look at we that it's like that's going to be the batmobile, batmobile. <laughs> and it's 10 years later and the world's fair grounds has been abandoned and, and it's, it's falling, apart, falling apart and that's them that's now yeah. and they had one more shot they got back together and there's even that part where you know they have the night together bruce and andrea and alfred even asks so what does this mean for your other life? And he doesn't know. Right. He knows he's got one more thing to go do. He knows he right. has to go stop the Joker and catch the Phantasm. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't know it's Andrea. Mm-hmm. And then he's trying to help her. He's trying to turn. He's saying, like, don't kill the Joker. Turn away from this. You have one last shot not to do this. 
She does her smoke machine. They vanish. And then what happens? It Everything literally explodes. And that that's it. Mm-hmm. That's the end of it. And I, I love that, that that represents them. And once and it's gone— And you could gone, even say it continues on because how does Batman escape? He falls into the sewers and gets— washed away through the mud (laughs) well he gets he gets washed away he gets he's he's caught in a uh in a current you know in in the flood yeah he he can't he can't get out of he can't fight Mm -hmm. it's out of his control Mm -hmm. yeah uh and then the scene before that i i love that idea of the bombs about to go off and he's not letting the joker escape he could Mm -hmm. escape with the joker joker's even like what are you doing (laughs) you know we'll both die so be it, or whatever it takes, right. and he pulls him down, and it's this idea of what is his, what is he really trying to do? Is he actually trying to kill the Joker and himself, or is he trying to stop Andrea from doing it? Mm. I don't know, and they never answer that, and I, I like that ambiguity of it all. Like, was he about to cross the line that Alfred talks about later? Right. Or was he just trying to stop her from doing it again? And... Oh, it's just so good. It's so good. It is. Absolutely. Everyone go check it out. Grab it. Who knows how long this Blu-ray is going to be around. It took 23 years for him to put it out. I don't know how long they'll keep it you know, available. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. So uh, go to, I think it was a Warner Archive, or go to Amazon and pick up your copy now. Right it, now. It is not outrageously priced or anything. It's Under actually, 20 bucks with the yeah. shipping. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is bare bones, unfortunately, but... It is the best you're going to get for a while, I, that, but uh, and I cannot recommend it enough. I know we spoiled it a little bit here if you haven't already seen the film. Um, even knowing what's going to happen, I think you will absolutely love the film. Mm-hmm. And you'll get so carried away that you'll probably forget that anyone told you how it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that is going to do it. Any feedback or anything, send emails to timeshifterspodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Movies at the Mat and Timeshifters Pod. And come join our Facebook group, just uh, facebook.com slash group slash timeshifters. Next time when Matt and I get together, we are going to discuss what Batman Mask of Phantom, Phantasm is not. <laughs> <laughs> Many people call them guilty pleasures. We're going to discuss, we're going to look at some films that we're going to come with uh, five. I think we decided on five yeah. films that we know aren't great. You know, they're just bad movies you like. Bad movies you like, exactly. And uh, we're going to, so we'll, we'll each have a list. And it's also going to be launching our second year of podcasting together. Sorry. <laughs> I think this actually may be officially – it's kind of hard because we do the two episodes a month as far as when we started and what do you count the month, whatever. So this may be the first podcast of our second year or the last podcast of our it's first phase year. It's phase two. It doesn't matter. <laughs> That's right. But we're definitely using uh, – we came in with a, one of our early episodes with our fa- five favorite films, which were just movies that we thought were just fantastic yes. just for all – all reasons. So this one we're going to try to uh, we're going to come with another list and kind of launch the uh, the year with that. So yeah. So if you've got a, a film that you everyone else just cringes at, but you love to death, I'd love to hear what it is. Uh, or television show. There's probably a few series out there. Sure. That, yeah. Um, love love to hear your thoughts. Send them to all any of the above. Tweet us or email us. Or uh, post on the Facebook group. I'm going to be going there uh, the next couple of days and posting that very question. So we, and we will get some feedback before we actually record. So that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody. And we'll talk to you next time. Um, that's it. Bye. <laughs>